0: Welcome to Less Than or Equal, the podcast about pursuing equality and geekdom by celebrating the diverse and their accomplishments. I'm your host, Aline Sims, and today I am joined by Relay FM, well, one of Relay FM's illustrious leaders, Stephen Hackett. Stephen, welcome to the show.
1: I don't know if anyone has ever described me as illustrious, but I will take it.
0: If that was on your bucket list, you can check it off. Be described Done. as illustrious. Done. Done. So, besides being our uh, one of our two heads of relay. Um, who are you, Steven? It's a really
1: good question. I I
0: don't, I don't know anymore. No. Uh,
1: (laughs) yeah. So I'm, I'm a nerd from, from Memphis. Um, like you said, co-founder of relay have been working sort of in tech journalism with air quotes for about, uh, eight years, but, um, uh, married, got three kids and, uh, now work as a stay at home dad. It's cool. It's a lot of fun
0: busy.
1: That's real busy. Yeah, but, but good busy.
0: Yeah. So, let's let's actually start with um will you tell the relay origin story cuz a lot of my listeners came from from the before times. Sure. Um and they might not be familiar with with relay and and what you're doing and how you got here.
1: Yeah, so Mike Hurley, who I'm sure most people know, uh, is my co-founder and he and I actually met in 2010 he interviewed me on a now defunct uh, tech podcast he had at the time about the iPad. And we really hit it off. And we, I mean, just after an hour of talking on Skype, you know, felt like we were, you know, we could be friends and we just stayed in touch and did a couple little projects together. And then 2012, 2013, sometime, the project he was working on uh, was acquired by five by five, which is another podcast network. And he and I did a couple more shows together there. And then now just two years ago, you know, two and a half years ago, we started putting the wheels in motion to start our own business and to take what he and I have been doing um, and add some new shows to it and create a network. And so we launched, Relay launched two years ago in August. So we're just coming off our birthday uh, anniversary thing and uh, have been in it now full time for about a year. After the first quarter, Mike uh, quit his job and and went into it full time and then I followed suit. And so it's really, you know, we just started with uh, like so many things in life, I guess, start with just like a conversation or one little project. And then you look up almost seven years later and you have a business and (laughs) like 30 people in your Slack and like this whole big thing, but really just started over a conversation about the
0: iPad of all things. So... Seven years. I remember grownups when I was little, grownups being like, you know, time passes really, really fast. Mm -hmm. You know, and you're little and you don't have a lot of frame of reference and and background and experience. And you're like, a year is forever. And it amazes me how fast a year goes now, let alone like seven. Seven seems like a blink of an eye and I'm not that old, you know.
1: (laughs) It it really goes by quickly and um, it speeds up. I think once you Have a family, it gets even faster. But yeah, I mean, I feel like like Mike and I have always worked together, and and really, I'd only been writing uh, at my website, Five Twelve Pixels, for really only about a year and a half at the time. And so, when I think about the time I've been podcasting with Mike and the time I've been writing, it's a very you know close Venn diagram, I guess. And so it's that even makes it seem faster to me because I feel like I've always had my website, and in reality, of course, that's not true. But um. But yeah, it goes by quick. And, you know, it's, it's always a pleasure to do business with people that you not only like, get along with professionally, but you're actually friends with. And uh, that's important to, to Mike and I that the relay culture be one that people feel like they can be themselves and be relaxed and create friendships. And, you know, we're a big network. Not everybody knows everybody else really well. And not everybody gets along with everybody sometimes. We all have our disagreements. But at the end of the day, we try really hard for the friendship that he and I have. To be the model of what what we want relay to be internally, and uh, we're not always great at it. There there are parts of it that we could be better at, but something that we really work towards. And I think that helps the time, like seem more blurred. That now there's all these people involved, and everyone's running around doing things all day, and it's um, it's just like messy and chaotic. And that that doesn't do anything, to your theory that time speeds up. <laughs>
0: It You know, it it amazes me. Sometimes I forget because not everybody is really active in Slack. And um, so sometimes I forget how many shows there are until I really step back and think about it or I need to go to, you know, the website or whatever and look around Mm -hmm. a little bit. And then I'm like, wow, this is incredible, especially... I don't know when you think when you think about businesses and business growth in 2 years
1: mm.
0: it's absolutely amazing where you are right now.
1: Yeah, we we added a lot of shows quickly. One of our, our big breaks was Jason Snell coming to us right as Macworld was sort of imploding and IDG let a lot of people off and he wanted to start a tech show. He had another tech show Clockwise which I know you've been on. Mm-hmm. Um clockwise is the most stressful show i ever appear on because you just have a couple of minutes to make your point and then (laughs) it moves on it's like you have to be concise
0: well and you never know what question what the questions are going to be so if it's not something i I do this like every show there's one question where i'm like i have no idea like i don't have enough information to answer this question very well Yeah.
1: (laughs) yeah clockwise makes me uh makes me sweaty i
0: love it though i love it
1: Jason was very kind in saying that he wanted to work with us, and at the time, the network was really only about a month old, and he was our first big break, if you will, and he showed up with his you know, big audience, and people took us seriously from day one because Jason was one of our hosts, and we've been really fortunate to work with a lot of great people in their industries, and it's just amazing to me, the people that show up and want to do shows with us. And, you know, we can't accommodate everybody there are lots of, there's lots of things we have to turn down, mm-hmm. but we definitely saw a lot of growth in the first two years. This year is going to be different. Um, we do have a couple of things in the pipeline, but I think we're shifting from adding a lot of stuff to being really, con- not that we haven't been considered with what we've added, but the things that we're talking about now are much more ambitious than what we've done. and so it's it's a, it's going to be a slower pace of growth this year, but one that I think will be just as exciting, at least at least for us.
0: so one of the reasons I wanted to join Relay is one because you already had hosts. I knew Steve Lubitz was a friend. um Jason and I were becoming like better acquainted around the time I joined. um I would, he's a friend now, but we were like acquaintances. and mm-hmm. so there were there were people that I knew who were on the show and they were like, Mike and Steven are great and and they care. Like, this is something that they... They care about, and we've had Yasmeen became a friend, um, like right around the time that that material started on the network, mm-hmm. and she was like, "We've already been talking about how are how are more women and people of color going to be added to the network?" And I know that's part of the reason that um, that material. I knew it was in the works for a while before it was added because you were looking for. For a good host who wasn't just you know another white guy talking about tech, right? Um, so I know that diversity. I'm speaking for you. I know that diversity is something that you're considering <laughs> moving, you're talking about, and and you're being mindful of moving forward too. Yeah,
1: we we didn't get that right at launch, and we have we have focused on the gender side of that more so, um, and that's that's not quite where we want it to be. It's definitely closer than it was at launch, but there's there's still work to be done. And you know, if you look at our host page, the it's a lot of Caucasian faces, and that's that's something that we struggle with, and that we that we are working our way through of improving. But you know, for us, it's um it's one of those things that anytime we add a show or we add a host or we change up something, you know, sometimes uh, uh, we had this happen with. A show earlier this year where a host rotated off and someone else came on, and you know we view all those as opportunities to to make the network more diverse and to make the network a a better place for everyone who is there. Mike and I are better people for having the conversations that we have had around this topic, and it is always something that you know I, I take a step back and I always have moments where I am humbled and that I am you know confronted with something that that I have thought or that I have assumed and that's good that it means that we are growing and that's um that's something that I appreciate from our from our community that there are voices who will speak to us about that because you know Mike and I come from similar backgrounds even though he he is from the United Kingdom you know we're really similar in a lot of ways and there there's always room for that that conversation for people to speak into those decisions
0: that's one of the things that I've really, really loved about being a part of the network is that I feel like I can come to you and say, Hey, this, this isn't working for me Mm -hmm. or Hey, like I did this the other day. Like, how can I help with this? You know, I will listen to more podcasts and, you know, kind of branch out and see if I can find hosts and shows who we might want to add. So, you know, send those things to me don't send them to Stephen and Mike <laughs> if you're listening and you're like I know this podcast send it to me and you know I I will I am willing to act like as a as a gate, gatekeeper and talent finder for that um but but you're always so receptive that you know I'm I'm like hey this isn't working or or I think that we could be doing this thing better or um you know or even what do you think about these things? And I know that you and Mike are always, one, receptive to the feedback. And I think you've had some that's kind of been harshly worded from, from me and other people. Like, we we don't necessarily think about it. And you're still, you're like, oh, yeah, I see what you're saying. Let's let's talk about this. And so thank you for, for doing that and being receptive. I know that can be a really hard thing.
1: Oh, no, that's very kind. And, you know, it if you look at the tech community as a whole, which, I mean, I, Relay started life as a tech podcast network. Mm-hmm. We are trying to expand past. That. I think we, I think we have. But if you look at our roots as like tech coverage, you know, Relay kind of came out of a, out of a part of the internet that is that really struggles with diversity in every fashion. And it has been what I hope is happening is that Relay can be an example to others that you can that you can improve on that and that you can have those conversations and you can listen. And I think that, that hopefully that's happening, you know, again, even saying that that's coming from my limited perspective, but I, I do hope that people look at relay and say, Hey, you know, always push us harder on this, but, uh, they're doing, they're doing things that people, other people aren't doing. And, um, we're proud of that. And at the same time in the same breath, uh, there's more, there's more to do.
0: There's always more to do. Um, one, there, there will always be more to do and I will always be telling you what more you can do. I'm sorry. Um, for, I, I apologize for future lean, but, um, uh, <laughs> No,
1: no, it's welcome.
0: Well, and the, and the thing is, uh, I, that's just life, right? You, you do better mm-hmm. at a thing and then you have to do better at other things. And this is how we, how we grow. And that's, you know, why we have the podcast boy. I have less than our equals because a lot of us I think are learning and growing from it. And that, I think that's really cool. We'll get back to our conversation with Steven in just a second. But before we do, I wanted to let you know about Martian Craft. Martian Craft is behind some of the most prominent software on the App Store. But what you might not know is that they offer a wide variety of training and they come to you to give it. They have classes to accommodate everyone from entry level to senior iOS developers. Anyone who's seeking to amplify their skills or improve their collaborative problem solving can benefit from this training. Fortune 500 companies rely on MartianCraft to make their teams and software even better. Find out for yourself why they're the right choice for your company. Go to MartianCraft.com/training to learn more. Thanks to MartianCraft for sponsoring Less Than or Equal and all of Relay FM. So part of the reason I asked you on is because September is Childhood Cancer Awareness Month,
1: and that's true.
0: It is September. Um, and this is something that affects you, impacts you quite profoundly. Will you talk about it a little bit?
1: Yeah, uh, absolutely. And I will point people. I'm trying to find the episode number as I talk. Sorry. Um, I will point people to analog episode five. We can put that in the show notes Mm -hmm. where I joined Casey Liss and Mike to talk about some of this. And so There'll be some overlap, but that episode does a lot of good job of the background. Like that episode is the show that I always wanted to do. And then Relay was five weeks old, so we did it. <laughs> but um you should go listen to that if you're if you want that's got more of the backstory. But the sort of the elevator pitch, if you will, is so I've got I've got three kids. Our oldest, uh, Josiah, our, our oldest son, Gingray turned eight years old. When he was six months old, was diagnosed with a malignant brain tumor. And very rapidly, as you might imagine, our lives changed. And in the first weekend, for example, he was, he, it was discovered on a Friday in an office visit um, through sort of some routine testing. And we, within a weekend, were having a CT scan and then an MRI and all these meetings with doctors. And then on Monday, he had extensive uh, brain surgery to remove what they could of the tumor. So really 72 hours, we went from a young family with a baby boy to um, a young family with a baby boy with a catastrophic disease. And I'm still unpacking those 72 hours.
0: Oh yeah.
1: Here now, uh, seven and a half years later, I think I always will be. But we went from that weekend, uh, we found out uh, about a week later, that it was malignant. I mean, there was there was no way it wasn't as extensive as it was. But got the diagnosis. His diagnosis is is basically unheard of in infants. It's exceedingly rare in, in children, even. Um, and so he is in a a very small class of peers. We were admitted to St. Jude Children's Research Hospital, which is located in Memphis. That was a um, a huge blessing, a huge uh, a huge benefit that we were already here. They can't, unfortunately, accept everybody. But we, um, the Children's Hospital here, and St. Jude have a very close relationship, and we were admitted. We did eighteen rounds of chemotherapy. Did a lot more, several more operations over the years, including one about about three, three and a half years ago. And the, the short version is that today, he still has cancer. He is not in remission. So, a lot of tumors, like you know. God forbid you get lung cancer or something. Um, those tumors can shrink and go away depending on the type, and and that is a, a, an important factor in remission. Obviously, Josiah's uh, tumor won't do that, so he still has the same amount of tumor as he did after his resection, but it is it is dormant. He he is classified as stable, meaning he still has cancer, but it hasn't grown and he hasn't grown any since chemotherapy, and. He still gets checkups. He still gets MRIs every nine months now, still followed by physical therapy, speech therapy, and that sort of thing. So he's not really ever out of the woods, but the longer it is stable, the better. And so we have been dealing with this now for, you know, seven and a half years. And so, so September is really an opportunity for me to bring other people in on that. We can talk about that in a minute, I guess. But, but, but yeah, so that's kind of what we've been doing. We've got um, two other children. They're both healthy and Josiah is a very loving uh, older brother to both of them, to his sister and his little brother. And he, you know, is in, in elementary school now, and he can run across the backyard, and he can he can sing and dance and do all these things that that really he we were told he would never do, and it's all because of the, the work at St. Jude.
0: I'm so glad you had that that resource for him. Um, it's I, I actually have several friends who have had children with cancer and a lot of them didn't make it. And, you know, some of them did, but a lot of them didn't. Mm -hmm. And, uh, even, even being on the sidelines supporting them through, you know, diagnosis and sometimes in one case, diagnosis, intermission and, another diagnosis. Um, it's just, it's, it's hard. It's hard. Right. And that's not your kid. And it's not necessarily a kid, you know, well, and I'm not a parent. Um, I love my cats very dearly, but it's not the same as having human (laughs) human children. And I, I try to like put myself in your, your shoes, you know, you've got a six month old and you you're like in the hot seat and it just happens yeah. and it's it's big and profound and you don't have time to breathe let alone process it and i don't know like i know that i know that st jude has has resources you know hospitals have grief counselors and that kind of thing but um i guess what i'm saying is like i don't know if if you are unable to empathize with this and you know people who are going through like even adults going through uh, cancer treatment, it's so, so, so hard. And um, being a, a young family going through it is, I, I can't, I don't like to say the phrase I can't imagine, but I, I cannot imagine what that must have been like and even what that continues to be like, having gone through it and still, I mean, still forever being in it. Does that make sense?
1: No, It it does. And, um, it does put you in, in sort of this, um, unique fraternity of, of other parents, you know, grief and, and things, you know, things like this to a very large degree, isolate you from the world. Um, so in some ways that are very tangible that if you're on treatment, you can't be around people because if you get a cold, it could be really bad because your immune system is shot, um, all the way up to people just not understanding and, I really only have really had one really bad interaction with somebody, but I know other families who have had, you know, family members, other people will just like not be able to handle it, like freak out and disappear on them. And that's, that's really terrible. Like when, when you need somebody most um, and they, they just don't know how to deal with it. But, you know, th- I think, I think that's true of any sort of catastrophic disease. I think it's it's sort of doubly true for childhood mm-hmm. catastrophic disease because it just seems inherently unfair Right. That like if you if you're 75 years old and you've lived a, a, a full life, cancer is still tragic, but it's more commonplace than a baby. Right. And somehow that feels more wrong. It feels like a bigger middle finger from the universe. And I definitely fought with that for a long time. And I didn't and maybe still don't fully understand the, the impact it's had on me and my family. But it, one of the things that I did um, incorrectly Um, in hindsight is that I didn't ever really deal with how it impacted me until years later. And uh, a lot of that is just that you're in treatment, you're doing all these things. I still had to go to work some days. Um, I had to survive, right? Mm -hmm. I had to like lock it down and just power through and get it done. And, and that was fine right until the moment that it wasn't fine. And, and I've told this story before, but I came home. I basically just left work one day and I came home. Um, this was after um, treatment was winding down and our our daughter had been born. And I came home and basically told my wife, I was like, don't let me leave the house by myself because like I don't know what's going to happen, but it won't be good. And, and thankfully, I had um, a mentor and some other people in my life who who sort of steered me in the direction of, of what I needed, where I needed to go with that, but it's hard. And it's one of those things that, you know, as, as a parent or as a provider, like you, you have it drilled into you, especially in the South that, you know, you're supposed to protect your family. You're supposed to provide for your family. You are supposed to, you know, take care of them in every way. That's something that as, as, as a, a, a man in the South, you are like ex- expected to do right. for whatever, you know, for whatever reason. And what that diagnosis does is strip all that away from you and, and from any parent, no matter where you are, no matter your gender, any parent who has told their kid is, is sick. Or, you know, I've had um, friends who have lost children in accidents and then that sort of thing, like you, that is just stripped away from you, that you're what you are air quotes supposed to do as a parent you can't do. And that feels like failure. And from the outside, that's crazy pants. Right. Because I, it wasn't a, a lack of something I did or something that we did do that led to just size diagnosis. But that's how it feels is that you, um, you your fate is ripped out of your hands. And that's a super hard pill to swallow. At least it was for me and i had to learn over time that that was okay that i could still provide for my family and and protect them and still like meet that that sense of of obligation and 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 my role if you will but doing it in a way that is totally different than what i expected and that what i had been told to expect and it's super hard yeah. because, you know, you're, I mean, what is is more personal than family? And what I learned at least, and what I'm still um, learning is to trust people who are put into your life, who know what they're doing. Um, and so St. Jude can and does hire the best people in like, literally in the world. Um, we have many doctors who are from overseas originally and who St. Jude hired because they're the best person. It doesn't matter if they lived in Tennessee or not. And that means that, you know what, if you offer this course of action, then I need to trust that it is the right course of action for our son. And, and we are very fortunate, even within the realm of St. Jude um, that we have been there a long time and that our relationship with our doctors is, is very different than it was eight years ago. And that means that we're a team player more than we used to be. And that we, because we have some expertise under our belt with, with certain aspects of this disease that they, they let us speak into those decision-making processes. And that's really something special and something that we don't take for granted that, you know, we can kind of become partners in care a, a little bit, but, um, Anyways, I'm sort of rambling, I'm sorry. But oh, um, it's good. It's you know, it's just it's just so complicated, right? And as a nerd, you like you want to be in control of everything right. and have everything just the right way. Like I'm super picky about everything in life, and um and suddenly you're sleeping on a hospital bed for a month, uh, you know, hospital couch for a month, and uh that all goes out the window. Yeah. <laughs> uh i I'm probably healthier for it in the long term, but it's um everything in life gets turned upside down.
0: And I I would not that you asked for my input, but I'm going to give it anyway. Like you were caring and providing him. Like you took him to his regular checkups. A lot of parents don't do that. Like that is how this was discovered. You didn't, you know, procrastinate when they were like, oh, hey, something's wrong. You, you did what needed to be done. Right. You, it's not the same as like putting a helmet on your child and and (laughs) on the bicycle, you know, and, and, and providing for the, their safety, their health and safety that way. But, you know, especially, I don't know, like anti-vaxxers and that kind of thing. And, you know, like, I'm like, you you need to protect your child and vaccines protect your child. You know, you need to take your child to get their checkups in case the unthinkable is happening and you don't know yet um, because it happens, unfortunately. And so you did provide, you, you did
1: yeah, the, uh, man, I could just really go off on the vaccination thing, but, um, but that's, that's really what has been eye-opening to me in thinking about like my other two kids, especially like they're sort of two like parallel thoughts is like, well, like they're basically invincible because they don't have cancer, mm-hmm. right? Like <laughs> one of the other kids gets a cold, it's like, you'll be fine, like it, power yeah. through it. Um but then on the other hand it it haunts you and and you are like looking for signs and looking for things that aren't there. Yeah. Because I mean his disease is not hereditary. It's not as a lightning strike, you know, and it's it's not something that statistically is is even close to probable just being anywhere else in our family, um, the numbers are so small. So it's really like this this give and take about how you let it impact the rest of your life. And, you know, for a long time, and I still struggle with it, it gave me an undertone of anger just about anything. And, and that has affected me in other areas of life. And like shortening my fuse is not something that I needed. And I am hopefully improving at that. But it, you know, it's just, it's just funny. Like it, it, like anything big in life it kind of pops up in other areas. It's like you'll be dealing with something totally unrelated and all of a sudden it comes rushing in. Um kind of like the Kool-Aid man through the wall. And it's um it's kind of an unpleasant roommate in that way. It's like, oh, I don't want you here, but you're here all the time and I can get rid of you. But if you learn to live with it and you learn that it doesn't have to define you, and it doesn't have to define my son, and it doesn't have to define our family then it becomes something that is much more manageable, but, um, but that took time.
0: Yeah. So let's talk a little bit more about St. Jude because, um, well, September childhood cancer awareness month, and you do something, um, for them in September. So I'd like to kind of talk about, um, more, more in depth about what they do. I think we've covered why it's important, but you know, hmm. why is it important? And then then what do you do in September, um, kind of in honor of what they've done for you and your family?
1: Sure. So St. Jude is a cancer and research institution based here in Memphis, Tennessee, where I'm from. Uh, born and raised here, I used to drive by it on the interstate. It's like, that's a weird looking building. <laughs> why is it there? You don't really understand it, right? Like kind of fades into the background. Mm-hmm. But But what St. Jude does is it treats Pediatric patients with catastrophic diseases. So mostly cancer, but not just cancer, uh, without regard to the family's ability to pay. And so, so what that means is that, you know, just, I has been a patient seven and a half years. I stopped tallying years ago and it was into the millions, uh, millions of dollars worth of, of care for him. And they, I, you know, I have insurance and they, they still take care of everything. You know, I have a job and I can pay for some things to a degree and they take care of everything down, down to, if you are traveling for, for care to Memphis, which most people do, we are in the minority that we're a local family that your housing and your travel and your meals, everything is paid for because they understand that as parents and as family members that, worrying about the finances would be crippling. Like that first weekend I described um, was almost a hundred thousand dollars worth of stuff. And, you know, I was 23 and like working my really kind of my first real job. It's like, there's just no way it's not possible. Even after insurance, it would have cleaned us out. And the taking that burden off of families really allows them to focus on their, their kids and their family's well-being, and, And it's just, it's just amazing. You know, St. Jude is a big place. It's it's an institution, lots of research. Most of the campus is research. Actually, most of the buildings I can't get, go in as a patient family because it's research and labs and, and scientists like wearing lab coats and doing crazy stuff. And that's, it's amazing to be a part of and amazing to, to see when we signed up or when we, you know, kind of first signed in as a patient doing all of our intake paperwork. You know, one of the forms is, do you opt in to, you know, allowing Josiah's care to be used in future, you know, studies? And I signed it in a heartbeat because if it hadn't been for the parents before us signing that paperwork, then the the little bit they know about Josiah's disease and in infants uh, wouldn't be there, right? So so all this research, all this care without without charging families really creates its own environment. St. Jude is a very unique place. Um, the children's hospital here, which is, which is absolutely outstanding. And they have a great neuro department, which, which we're a part of. They, they always sort of joke that there's like the right way and the wrong way. And then like the St. Jude way, like, because it is so, um, such a unique place and it is very much like home to us. And, you know, it's just amazing that this many years on, they still, anything we need for his care uh, is is paid for still, and is still done in the most professional, like l- leading edge way, just still, it, it blows me away every time.
0: It's amazing. I, I wish there was more of that that people could access.
1: Yeah. It's, you know, the, the heartbreaking side of it is that they can't take care of everybody. Yeah. And I, I, we would have gotten in anyways, because of his diagnosis, I believe, but there are a lot of, a lot of families that can't be here. But what St. Jude does do is that their research is open, and they have a network of other hospitals that they that they share resources with, and that help St. Jude. So, you know, as an example, when th- there was some debate over just size of the grade, you know, cancer, most types of cancer get a grade, and it's like one to four most mm-hmm. of the time. The bigger the number, the the kind of more serious it is, if you will. And there was debate about where he landed, and. So St. Jude looked at it as did uh, I think John Hopkins, I think one other one other place on the East Coast, to help form the fuller picture of it. And so you also get access to all this network of of great healthcare and and professionals who are the best in their field.
0: So where does St. Jude get the money to be able to do all of this?
1: So it takes uh, I don't know the current number. It's one point something or maybe even two million dollars a day to run St. Jude. And that money comes from a bunch of places, but the most important place to me is through personal donations. So, there's research grants and and corporate partnership. Actually, a good friend of mine here in Memphis works on the corporate partnership team. Um, So, he has a super cool job of flying all around the world telling companies about St. Jude. It's a great job. Um, But a lot of it comes from personal donations. And the in Memphis, at least, you see it all over the place. Like, you can't go in a barbecue joint in this town without seeing a, a bucket out front with a picture of St. Jude kid on it. It's just completely heartwarming. But a lot of their money comes from places, from people like you and me who donate a little bit at a time. You know, you can donate monthly. Um, but they really do a big drive towards the end of the year. They do a marathon in December and a big fundraising. Like, ramp up to that. so people like like me and you, who you know <laughs> can't give corporately, um, or I don't have research grants, like we can get involved. and it's just it's just you know normal people who hear about St. Jude and who are touched by it and who you know donate twenty bucks online or a hundred bucks or five hundred bucks or whatever it is, and that you know, that builds up. and I think I think a couple of years ago, I saw a stat that there average donation, I think was $25 or something, something really low. I guess that's an average. I like, guess it's amazing to me uh, when you offset it with these huge gifts that, um, that it's just regular people who have been impacted by it in one way or another getting involved,
0: giving a dollar or $5 or mm-hmm. yeah. Yeah. That's, uh, it's profound. Yeah. I
1: think it, I think it really goes back to that thought that because it's kids, that it, it has a, a, a place in people's and everyone's heart, you know, that something else may not. Um, and so, what I do in September, so the t- September being National Childhood Cancer Awareness Month, that's bigger than St. Jude, um, uh, but I use it as a as sort of a platform to talk about it uh, online to my audience. And for the last several years, I have pulled ads off of my site, off of 512. And instead I run ads basically for St. Jude and generally what I've done and what I'm doing this year, they're, they're all mostly written now is each week is just a, a, a different type of little story about our time there. And this, in fact, if we we're talking earlier about time speeding up. Uh, the first one coming up on Monday is about that is about how, um, how time speeds up when you have a, a, a child with a catastrophic disease and how, for a lot of families, unfortunately, time runs out, and so I, I just write. I just have these little vignettes of of what life is like, and I invite people to to donate. And I'm pretty bold about it. I, I don't have any trouble saying to people, "Hey, you should not just read this, but you should click that link and go to donate twenty bucks." And every year, the 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 sort of the Apple tech community is kind of my home base online. Have just been incredibly generous. Um, last year, we raised $20,000. Wow. This year, my goal is eight. I won $1,000 for every year of Desai's life, but I fully anticipate blowing past that. In fact, um, as we we're recording this, I launched the campaign yesterday, and we're over halfway there. So, you know, for me, the $8,000 was just um, a, a symbolic number, but it, it's great. And, you know, these people who are donating. I don't know them all. Like I mean, there's, I mean, I, I get copied on the emails. Um, and it's, it's all these names and some of them are recognized from Twitter. Some I don't, but what's really incredible is the people who email me or send me DMS on Twitter saying, you know, Hey, I donated. Thank you for doing this. But the stories of people telling me about their experiences with it and so getting emails from somebody who, you know, lost a child in the eighties to leukemia or someone who's, uh, just yesterday, somebody emailed me whose mother-in-law got diagnosed with breast cancer just two days ago. And they're still in that shock phase. And, and, you know, they, sometimes they ask for advice. I, I don't know if I'm a good person to give, uh, but people just want to share their stories. And so that has become my favorite part of this. Like, Um, I want to raise all the money I can for St. Jude. I want the 512 page to be the biggest page for the the marathon. Um, But I also really am humbled that people want and, and feel like I'm the person to share their stories with. And that's really like, it really blows me away because I'm not some, I don't think I'm somebody who has a lot of helpful things to say in that regard. I'm still figuring it out. But there's that, that draw in all of us to connect. And, you know, I, I think if, if a single aspect of my personality has changed through this, it is that I have been, it's sort of been rammed down my throat at times. Um, but the gift of empathy is something that I have learned, uh, through this. And I was not particularly an empathetic person before our son was diagnosed. I I don't know if I am now, but I am at least a little bit more so and people like just want to share and they want to connect and they want to say, Hey, you're not the only person going through this. You are not the only person who feels this way in this situation. Right? Like, um, the same thing happened. I I wrote, I wrote very openly about depression several years ago and the same type of thing happened where all these people just show up in my inbox saying, Hey, um, hang in there. I've done this. You, you can do this. You've got this. Um, encouraging me, giving me advice based on their experience, sharing their experiences. And for all the um, crap on the internet and there is lots of it, yeah. um, this sort of thing like gives me encouragement about the community that we find ourselves surrounded with. The people who do listen to our shows or read our websites or favorite our tweets, um, and, and the people whose podcasts we listen to and whose sites we read and whose tweets we favorite, that they're not just avatars, that they're not just voices in overcast, that they're not just uh, a name in an our RSS reader, but they're people with stories. And sometimes those stories are really tragic. And sometimes those stories are things that can help other people. And that just every year just blows me away. I mean, just, I always forget, <laughs> I roll around and sometimes I'm like, yeah, I'm going to fundraise. And then like the first day it comes up and I get all these emails. And I'm just like, holy cow, like this is really heavy duty. Yeah. But it's something that um, I'm a far better person for, I hope.
0: I think it's incredible. And now for our final interlude. This episode of Less Than or Equal is also brought to you by HelpSpot. If you deal with any kind of customer support, you need HelpSpot. HelpSpot is the most comprehensive and flexible help desk software around. With HelpSpot, you can let your customers reach you however they choose. Email, web, phone, it doesn't matter. HelpSpot is the central place for all of your customer support needs. Turn disjointed email exchanges into meaningful conversations with your customers. Get a quick view of any trends relating to your support requests. Look at real-time reports to see exactly what's happening with your support. HelpSpot has it all. They even help you easily create a self-service portal to give your customers all the knowledge-based articles they need. And, as you would expect, HelpSpot has a service they can host for you, or you can run it on your own servers. You'll get source code access for custom branding, direct SQL access to write custom reports, and extensive APIs and Zapier integration for connecting to your other business systems. This is where the powerful and beautiful automation can happen. HelpSpot's current customers include startups and Fortune 500 companies. It's in IT departments, call centers, and customer service groups across every industry, including software, banking, healthcare, education, transportation, e-commerce, and more. Do you get a few support requests today or thousands? With HelpSpot, it doesn't matter. No matter where you are or how big you grow, they will be there to help you lighten the burden of customer support. HelpSpot is free for up to 3 users and inexpensive for larger teams. Better still, you'll get an additional 10% off for life when you use the code LTOE when you sign up. So go to helpspot.com/ltoe to start a trial today or sign up for a free one-on-one demo to learn more about how HelpSpot can serve your support team. Thank you so much to HelpSpot for their support of Less Than or Equal and all of Relay FM. Doing Less Than or Equal has really taught me how important having community is mm-hmm. and I think it's something I understood abstractly before i've always been kind of a loner I've always kind of done my own thing I've always kind of been a you know like I do what I want, I do what I think is right, even if it's not the right thing like I do what I think is right and forget you you know and and I can do this on my own and I spent Gosh! Until my late twenties, really, really firmly being like, I can do whatever I want to do on my own. And podcasting, and especially podcasting in the space that I do, has taught me that having community and having having people I can empathize with is important. And tech gets a lot of. Um, I give the tech industry, I give the Apple tech community a lot of grief for a lot of reasons and i don't think that it's unjustified i think it you know it needs to happen so that we can grow but being involved with app camp for girls and going to the fundraiser at wwdc and you know i i did a fundraiser for my birthday last year for app camp um and it's it's an apple centric coding camp and the community is so responsive and so supportive and so much of like yeah we know there aren't a lot of a lot of women in the industry that's why i'm here that's why i'm helping and i think it's not exactly the experience that you had but similar in the of all the corners of tech i could have ended up in i am extremely grateful for for this community I mean, I, you have built community and I have built community, but we're all part of that bigger one. And, and I am so incredibly grateful for the majority of people in it and how supportive they are.
1: Yeah, absolutely. It's um, really is something that people who have a common interest around a type of computer or brand of phone, which is like. Make no mistake, is completely ridiculous. <laughs> like I, I don't for a, a minute misunderstand that. That sort of like the things we're interested in make no sense to a lot of other people, but that just that sort of common interest can be enough to connect people. And Mike and I, and and I think a lot of relay hosts are very fortunate that we get to see a lot of that, just because we are, are our audiences are of a certain size, if you will. But but it's totally true and you know going to things like the the App Camp event this this summer like reinforced to me that people do understand that our community needs to be better and that they they found a tangible way to go about that and i think that's i think that's great and i think that it is something that i'm sure it exists and i mean obviously it exists in other communities but it does feel um, special in ours and I think that it is something to be celebrated and I think it's something to like to defend right I think that's a lot of what you're doing with the show <laughs> it's like d- allowing um, that community or pushing that community I should say to be better and to to be more inclusive because the the reality is like we all we all need each other for our community to be strong and that the people who are emailing me about their their cancer stories. Um, that's what they're really looking for. They're looking to build community with me, looking to build community with other people who have been through things they've been through. And, you know, we're fortunate because we're in Memphis because San Jude is here that we are par- a part of that here in town and that we, as people come and go throughout their treatment cycles, we get to see them. And, you know, a lot of people who just have to go home and, and deal with the ramifications of it. And they're, they're sort of disconnected from the St. Jude family. Like I see parallels in those communities because I'm, I get to be a part of both of them. But at the end of the day, like we all are, we are all connected through like our, the things that impact our lives and that we are all shaped by the experiences we have. And we can either firmly believe this. We can either allow those things um, to distort who we are and to define us in a way that is negative. and like, like I said, for a long time, I really like I saw the the entire world through like rage, pain, and glasses. Um, or we can allow like those things and those voices and that those circumstances to we can take those opportunities to improve ourselves and and allow the the, um, the circumstances we are in to become opportunities to serve others and to serve our community. Um, and it's something that, that I struggle with and it's hard. And, and are you know, lots of days where I, I don't want to be a part of either community. Right. And it's like right. Some some stupid thing happens on Twitter, um, or something happens, you know, with the family that we know, and it's like, I just, I can't do this anymore. But the reality is there are good people out there and there are people who, there are people who really care for my family who I've never met. And there are people who, um, like, like the, the, that very, going back to the very first weekend, when we sort of finally got home a month later, we spent a month in the hospital and we were sorting through our mail and there was a, a hand, a hand addressed envelope to my wife and I and I cut it open and it was a letter from a church, I think in Alabama or Georgia, I don't remember now. And a letter saying, hey, we had like a prayer meeting for you and your son and we took up um, a donation. Um, if you could, um accept it, you know, on behalf of St. Jude, that'd be wonderful. And there was, you know, some cash in the envelope. And I couldn't find this church on the internet. I could barely find the town on Google Maps, this oh. tiny little southern town. And I I don't know to this day, I have no idea how they heard about our son. I I, I don't know anyone who lives there. I don't know anyone who knows anyone who lives there. I mean I asked around because I was so blown away um by their their care and their generosity. And like I on days that are hard and days where I feel like they the sun's not going to come up again. It's, it's those sort of stories and those sort of um, outpourings of love and encouragement that like anchor me in the reality that um, as crappy as this is, that we are very fortunate that our son is still here. He's doing well, that he's you know running around his backyard, chasing his little brother with the hose or whatever they're doing um, that we get to, to have those days with him is really important. And that I'm doubly lucky that I get to go to work with, with people who I count as friends and get to be part of a community online who also care about me and care about my family. Um, that's a really special privileged spot that I get to sit in. And I hope that, in saying that, that, uh, that I don't sound like an, like an, sorry, Justin, but, um, (laughs) that, that I, you know, I am truly grateful for all that stuff and, and completely humbled that people email me to tell me about their mother-in-law. Like it's heartbreaking and it's hard to read, but it's important for me to read it and it's healthy for me to read it. And it's something that, um, I hope everybody has with somebody like, don't have it with me, (laughs) have it with somebody like, like the, you know, even if it's not cancer, even if it's not your kid, if, if, if you have something, um, in your life that it's, that's knocked you off the rails, like my only encouragement is to go find somebody in your life to talk to about it because you can't, there's just way too much in life that you can't do on your own. And the, the moment you realize that truth, um, is a big one.
0: And counseling, go, yes. go, go to counseling.
1: Yes. I have, um, I have a great counselor and something that was hard that was hard for me to do it was hard for me to make that step and um but it's something that until you experience it until you experience um a conversation with someone who not only can understand what you're going through but can understand the reasons it makes you respond uh, the right. way you do um it's completely eye opening and, and for me, what that experience has done has helped me realize that I'm not sort of out here on the fringes dealing with something that no one else has ever dealt with. That, yes, like this diagnosis at this age is exceedingly rare. Well, like really what we're dealing with is is things much broader and things that are, are, are lots of people deal with. And, and for me, it just gave me a sense of place in the world that I didn't have before. And the ability to go and speak to somebody freely and speak to somebody who can respond in a way that is appropriate and that is helpful. I mean, definitely like have your buddy that you go sit out in the driveway with and talk to That's important. Um, but at the end of the day, your buddy may not know what to say or may say, unfortunately, the wrong thing, or may not be able to, to meet your needs in that conversation, um, and that's really where, like, you're absolutely right. Balancing it with somebody who is a professional is absolutely critical. And if I hadn't done that, and if I hadn't continued to do that uh, as needed, um, I don't want to think about that reality. Because sometimes you need somebody, <laughs> like, it's, as silly as it seems, and, and maybe it's only true for me, that like, talking to somebody that I, that I sensed was in, like, some sort of authority figure in this, in this realm, right? Like, talking to your, your buddy you went to college with, who, like doesn't have kids about your kids' cancer, like that can only get you so far. Right. <laughs> um, and talking with somebody who can be helpful on a different level is um is just eye-opening.
0: And to I don't know, one of the things that happened when I was in counseling is I would go in and talk about a situation or a thing I was trying to process. And I'd be like, I'm I'm really angry about this. I'm really upset about this. And and kind of getting that validation, like, yeah, this is a situation that's upsetting. It's okay to be angry. It's okay. Like, and she, she just got to a point, my counselor just got to a point where she'd just look at me and she'd smile and she'd say, congratulations, you're normal. And it's like, Mm -hmm. oh, I really needed to hear that because this doesn't feel like a normal thing, whatever that was. And sometimes just getting that validation helped. Um, let alone the tools for for dealing with the situations.
1: Absolutely, absolutely. That's really that's what I was trying to say. You said it much better.
0: That's
1: um, so why you're the host. the uh, the The tools part of it is is interesting too. Of learning how to deal with catastrophic disease in your immediate family, learning how to deal with something like depression, learning how to deal with whatever it may be. It's important to understand what happened, understand the situation, understand your response to it. But it's also important to understand how to move forward. And having done this for so long and knowing this will always be my family's story really pressed home on me, pressed the point home on me that I needed some sort of way to to handle it on an ongoing basis because it's not going away. It's going to be part of us. The roommate's not moving out. Um, so how do you deal with it? How do you How do you handle it? How do you manage it? How do you approach it? And that's, that's something that I just now, this many years into it, I'm really just getting into of, you know what, if, if I see the dark clouds on the horizon, I don't have to stand here helpless as they rush towards me. Like spoiler alert, like I, I, I can, I can have tools in my toolbox to deal with that and, and to not be tossed around by the waves and and there are going to be big waves and there're going to be waves that that knock me off my feet and there're going to be storm clouds that that rush in no matter what I do but having steps in place having structures in place in life to at the very least monitor those things has been truly life-changing for me and as um as wild as it may seem a lot of the things that I have sort of put into place are based on AA, like that structure and having, having mechanisms in place, having like fail safes in place in life to understand that if this flag gets tripped, then I need to pay attention to it. Mm -hmm. Um, it's something that a lot of people, a lot of, uh, people dealing with addiction and recovery build those things out in life that, Hey, if this flag gets tripped, um, you know, it's, it's something that you need to go pay attention to and you need to understand why you got tripped and um, have some things in place to have a plan in place when that happens. And I've been slowly building those things over the last year um, through the help of a, a wonderful therapist that I've uh, come to, to meet in the last couple of years. And it's really been something that has been helpful even in the September campaign. Like two years ago or three years ago, whatever the first year I did it, Like, I came out of September really beat up because I was just in it, right? I was back, I was writing a blog post about it. I was on the St. Jude website. I was having phone calls with St. Jude. Like, I was in it again in a deep way that we're not anymore. And I came into October just feeling like I've been punched in the gut. And I don't have to feel that way after this. Like, I, I can go through September and I can be back in it and be involved in it and be a part of it, but I can still have my composure at the end of the month um, because of all those like scaffolding and structures in life to say, you know, what, you have other things that define you other than this. You have other things in life that are important to you other than this. You have other things in life that um, can push out the negativity or, or at the very least alert you when the negativity is here. And, you know, if you and I had this conversation a year ago, this wouldn't be a part of it. It's not part of that analog episode five um, show. Right. But it's something that, if you are dealing with something in life that is that is heavy duty, um, have the conversations with people, have a, a professional conversations with somebody. But but for me, that third, you know, TP post is have somebody or have some things in life, you know, and for me, it's also a person um, who can do some monitoring, who can do some checking, right? As nerds, we like stats and we like to know how fast my CPU fan is turning in my tower or whatever, like... <laughs> You can apply that stuff to life, right. and you can you apply those things where, like, you know what? I haven't actually been out of the house in a, in a week, or I haven't seen anybody, I haven't seen any friends in in three weeks. Like, maybe that's a flag to say, you know what? Maybe you're more bummed than you thought you were, or maybe something's going on, and you need to you need to do that, um, and all that stuff is what it allow, allows me to do, and I think what it allows a lot of people to do is continue to deal with the situation, continue to deal with the fact that our son is sick and that it is very serious. And at the same time, be there for my other kids, be present in my family, be present in my business, do all these other things because, you know, life um, still demands things of you. Like (laughs) it doesn't matter what's going on. Like you still have to go do certain things. Yeah. And, um, you know, I was fortunate when we were first diagnosed that, the company I was at a the time, the, the owner called me and said, we're going to pay you. We don't want to see you like go take care of your family. Your job will be here when you get back. Uh, and I took a month off and it was amazing, but so many people don't have that. I was extremely fortunate to have that ability. Um, and that the company I was at was willing to let me do that. But I know so many St. Jude families who that's not the case where one parent is here. Um, in Memphis with the patient and the other parent, maybe back home or in a single parent families, they're juggling kids and one's here and one's sick and the others are out of state with their parents. Like all these terrible stories of, of on top of catastrophic disease, you're dealing with just the crap of life and like having to deal with all of it. And, and it's heartbreaking to see all that and, and understand that I was extremely fortunate. um, in some of the gifts that I was given in that time period, but life does demand things of us. Um, and being able to respond to that and cope and deal with everything is really hard. And I blew it. I've blown it so many times. I continue to blow it all the time. Yep. Um, it's just, um, it's, it's letting it, it's figuring out where you are and where it is and where everybody sits in the room and, 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 and just pushing through it sometimes.
0: And continually, continually learning. Cause there's always something new. You know, like mm-hmm. the way I responded to a situation yesterday is not how I would have responded to it six months ago. Right. And so, being able to reevaluate those flags and those signposts and and that kind of thing is like I it, it's just work. Living is work. It's geez, if only it were easy.
1: Yep. The um, if it we're easy, it wouldn't be uh, you know, the 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 hardship that means there's, there's great reward, Mm -hmm. um, that if we were all just kind of like floating around on, uh, inner tubes of life, then there wouldn't be anything truly spectacular in it. And for me, the, the, the most joyous parts of life are like intermixed with all the, the painful stuff. And to to see, um, a, a family finish chemotherapy and be in remission and go home is amazing. Like we, we want to send friends never to come back because like they're home and they're healthy. Right. But like in the same breath, we have families who have lost kids. We've been to way too many funerals. Um, we, you know, our son has lost friends and peers from the hospital. And each time that that comes up, it's an opportunity for us as a family and as parents in particular to talk with him about that, to, to see how he's feeling, to see, um, how he's responding to it. You know, he was six months old. You don't have to explain anything to a six-month-old. Right. And even he's two, three, four. His whole life, he remembers this has just been the the routine. This has been normal. And now he's almost eight, and he's in school, and he has friends outside of St. Jude. Really, now we're entering the stage of um, real change in his life. And the struggle for us now is how do we parent uh, a child like Josiah out in the world? We're just in St. Jude. It's insular. It's easy. Um, to a degree. And so now it's about, well, you know, how do we equip him if someone does make fun of him because of his disabilities or if someone does say something stupid on the playground. And, you know, he's, you know, young, you know, lower elementary school. There's nothing much malicious going on there, but I know that won't always be the case that he, he, you know, if he continues in school and continues to be healthy and, and is in middle school or high school or beyond, that he is going to run into somebody who says something with actual malice. And how do we prep him for that? Like, I don't know. (laughs) Like We were reading and we were talking to people. We were trying to like figure it out, but it is, um, that's kind of the chapter we're in now. And then, you know, in a year we'll be in a different chapter. And, and that's sort of the, the, the wild thing about life is that once you, like, once you have a stage of life figured out, that stage goes away, right? Like you have figured out right at the very end, like, okay, I got college. Oh, I graduated. Like, Oh, where did that go? I can deal with this. Um, oh, shoot. Yeah, it's over. Um, and that's, you know, that's part of that that treadmill of life. But it's something that I think a lot about watching my kids grow up and having a lot of change in our personal lives and just trying to be aware of the stages of life and the challenges that they all have inherent to themselves. Then you add on all the St. Jude stuff. Um, but it's really hard and it's, it's um, not what I expected starting a family, but. But at the same time, I kind of like. I'd love to have it another way, but I can't. Mm-hmm. Like this is the way that it is, and so uh, we accept that. We have, this is part of our family, and now it's just about how do we parent, how do we, um, how does our marriage, <laughs> uh, how, how do how do all these things, um, work within it?
0: What is it? like for the younger kids because I mean this is I mean this is all your family is known, right? It's not like Josiah was the youngest and and you right. were thrust into this and and you knew what a more typical family you know what what that might have looked like for you. So like this is all you've known as a parent is, you know, taking Josiah to treatments and checkups and that kind of thing and then you know, adding kids onto that, Mm -hmm. but what is it like for them having, you know, having a brother who has to get regular checkups and has to do brain scans and that kind of thing? Is it something that phases them at all or they're still pretty little?
1: Yeah. I mean, his, his sister is just a, um, about they're 20 months apart or so. So she's, she's well aware of what's going on. I mean, the youngest is two and all he cares about is his hot wheels, but, um,
0: as is only appropriate they, you
1: know, they've both, um, grown up going to the hospital, right? They've both, uh, there's a picture of us, uh, just, I had a scan or a checkup or something and our daughter was like three weeks old. And she's just like, there was with us in the waiting room, just this, you know, tiny little newborn baby, um, and so to a degree, it's it's just part of what we do. Like some families do karate. Sometimes we do physical therapy. Like, mm-hmm. um, But, you know, I think, I think the time is coming if it's not here already where our daughter in particular knows that her brother is special. And really where we see that impact is in emergency situations where if he has a seizure in the middle of the night and she wakes up and one of us isn't there and, and he's gone because, you know, he had to go to the, the hospital because we couldn't stop it at home. Or days we have MRIs, we have this tradition of the night before an MRI, we go out for pizza, Um, and that's just kind of what we do. But but sometimes it deviates from the routine, and we have situations where, unfortunately, they get the short end of the stick. Sometimes, I mean, if if there's, we had this uh, situation about a year and a half ago, he had a really bad seizure. We couldn't stop it with the the medication that we are allowed to have, and so the, the EMTs had to come get him and he actually had trouble breathing during this, this, um, seizure, which is the only time it's, it's, it's been like that. And it was, it was generally the one of the only times in seven years that I thought that this was it, that is like, this is, this is where the the story changes significantly. Um, and he was in, the ICU at the children's hospital, I think for two days, three days, and really had a hard time of it. And unfortunately, sometimes that means mom and dad both need to be there or mom and dad are, are trading off. And so your other kids are with grandma. And we try to be very aware of the damage to their lives that it causes. And we try to offset that in some different ways. But sometimes it just really sucks. And they get the short end of the stick, and that's completely unfair to them. But that's sort of the reality that we're in. And um, but at the same time, like when that happens, um, the the only thing our daughter wants to know is how he is and when he's coming home, and can she go see him? And they're they're very close, and that that means the world to me. Like my favorite thing as a parent is to watch my kids interact and listen to them talk to each other when they don't know I'm oh. around mm-hmm. like a sort of creepster. But, um, you know, like that, like seeing their relationship just as it is without one of us in the room is my favorite thing in the world. And, and they're like, I said, they're very close and they, she understands that he's, um, that he's special and that he has some things about him. that are a little bit different than other people. And I think our youngest son, when he grows past the Hot Wheels phase, <laughs> uh, will understand that too. Um, and you know, th- I'm extremely thankful that they are getting to know him as their older brother. And I hope that they always have him as their older brother. But even if they don't, I think that their relationship is special and something that is, um, it's nothing the or I did. Like <laughs> we didn't, you know, we didn't, um, we're not capable of setting that sweetness up in our children, but they have it and they have it towards him. And he has it towards, towards the two of them. And it's, um it's really heartwarming and, you know, days where everything goes wrong. And uh, that's sometimes what I fall back to. Like, you know what, I can, I can see them play in the backyard or see them reading books together. And, and that's more than enough.
0: I think that's a good place to end. Um, So if people want to donate to St. Jude, um, we will put a link in the show notes to make it easy for you to, to find how to do that. Um, If it isn't September and you're listening, um, I'm sure you can go to st Saint Jude, Saint jude's website and find find that info but i will try to include a link for that as well um so how can people find you online
1: um the best place is probably twitter until they go out of business um <laughs> well. is good right uh at ismh and then of course uh on relay.fm i'm a host of several shows there and then i write about tech and mostly old tech some weeks at um 512pixels.net
0: we didn't even talk about your iMac collection. I feel well, uh, next time. There's
1: 13 There's thirteen of them in this room right now. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> you
0: can find the show on Twitter at less than or equal. And if you have feedback, suggestions for guests, or would like to be a guest, please go to relay.fm slash LTOE and fill out the contact form. If you have a few minutes, it'd be wonderful if you'd leave a rating or a view on iTunes. Thank you for listening. Until next time on an internet near you, I'm Aline Sims for Less Than or Equal.